happy Monday. Welcome to another sneak preview. I'm Connor Azgari. I'm Caleb Roger. And today we're discussing two 2021 releases, King Richard and the Power of the Dog. Uh, for the bulk of the show, we've each prepared our own lists of what we believe to be the 10 best remakes we've ever seen. A couple weeks back, we did our top 10 worst remakes. Figured this would be a fun follow-up during a particularly slow week of releases. So that's our show, top 10 best remakes. It's gonna be it's gonna be a slow week this week and next week. Like they're clearly like nothing's coming out because Spider Man's coming out. Next week is far from a slow week. You just got to know where to look. But I'll get I'll get more to, uh, to that at the end. It's a slow week for you. You don't want to see any of these movies. But <laughs> no, I don't get until Spider Man comes out. So you have fun with that. <laughs> uh, but first, let's see what happened last week in film. Last week. In Phil. First up, one trailer and one first look to discuss. Uh, we finally got the long-awaited teaser for Netflix's new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, which has the imaginative title of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, just dropping the the. Very creative. Release date is February 18th on Netflix. What? It's like the Fast and the Furious when they dropped the thos for the fourth movie. Yeah. I mean, just get, just try. <laughs> I mean, whatever. <laughs> this tells me oh. that there's, a you know, at least in the title department, shit's a little lazy here. But we'll see, you know, February 18th on Netflix. We'll find out. We will. And I will say, like, I know I have not been the biggest proponent of the Chainsaw Massacre since the announcement with Netflix and um, I still have my questions on why they waited so long and like sat on a finished film because it's not like they made this they got this finished um, so I do I mean I saw my questions about like why it's taking so long to release it with that said to their credit they have really upped the marketing game since finally putting out that date with you know putting out the date it being on Entertainment Weekly popping up online putting out the teaser and based off this teaser alone, I'm actually kind of interested in this take. Um, again, I so a little concerned because it is was supposed to be actually close going to Netflix now. And again, they signed on for as long as they did. But the trailer got me interested enough to be like, okay, I'm curious on what you're going to do with this. I think like that shot when she's under the house and he just fucking shoves the chainsaw through the floor and then it's like cutting through the floor, like that was pretty badass. Like I, I, I was in on that scene. So I'm, I'm very, I'm a little bit more down to see this take on um, Motherface and family. I'm in, but that scene that you're talking about was, was neat, but also made me think like, he's going to fall through that fucking floor. Like he's cutting up the floor with a chainsaw. He's going to, he's going to fall, but you know, maybe he won't. I'll have to see the movie. He might fall. Who knows? He hits like a beam somewhere along the way. Yeah. I mean, we saw in the original that he, you know, when he just fucks up that door, pisses off the whole family. <laughs> Leatherface clearly has no, he didn't give a fuck about home decor. Not one bit. <laughs> um, so that looks neat. We also got the vibrant first look at Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which has been revealed to be part one of a two-part story. Uh, the film hits theaters on October 7th, and this, of course, looks awesome. We all knew this was going to look awesome. 
Josh showed me this trailer was out, and I completely forgot to fucking watch it. So I've not seen it yet, but I will after this recording. It's not so much a trailer; it's more just like a you know ex- extended first look. It's a it's a like a clip, uh, but it does feature Spider Man twenty ninety nine, who's going to be voiced by Oscar Isaac. Uh, and other than that, there's not really any plot details, but this is going to be pretty badass. The first one was really cool. And as I said, it's been revealed to be a part one. So cross the spider verse is going to be a two-parter. Yeah. They got some high hopes. I mean, I know how much people love the first one. I love the first one myself, but okay. Well, okay. I mean, Spider-Man yeah. no way home is projected to make 200 million like b- opening box office. So I think, I think oh, everything. Yeah, yeah. I got my Thursday night ticket. So, I got my yeah, no, Friday think... night tickets because I've got a flight. <laughs> no, I, I picked Thursday because it's my birthday, and I was like, I'm seeing Spider-Man. It's on my fucking birthday. So, um, yeah. No, I, I'll check. This, I'll, I'll probably check this out. I mean, as long as it's not like that bullshit that was the Jurassic World shit. They're like, hey, the new trailer for Jurassic World. And it's like, no, it's not. It's like the whole opening five minutes of the fucking movie that I don't want to see until I go see the fucking movie. Yeah, it's a little bit like that, but not that long. And I'm pretty sure it's, you know, it's it starts out like that, but then it turns into like a kind of just watch it. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> uh, that's all for trailers. The 1992 sports comedy White Men Can't Jump is getting an in- inexplicable remake uh, from director Cal Maddock, who just finished helming a remake of House Party, which was his first film. Prior to that, he directed a whole lot of music videos, including Lil Nas X's Old Town Road. So uh, the Old Town Road guys directed a remake of White Men Can't Jump. If I don't hear that song at any point in the movie. <laughs> I've never seen no, the original White Men Can't Jump, so I don't really have a dog in this race. But Yeah, I mean, I've seen the video for that Lil Nas X video. I've seen that. The one with, uh, what is it? We got... Uh, Thank you, Berkey Hawk guy. Oh, uh, Billy Ray. There you go. Like Billy Ray, I've seen that one. You know, I've seen. That's about all I got. I haven't seen him. I can't jump. So I got, I got no dog in the race either. Just of all movies to remake, I guess at this point in Hollywood, anything's on the table, right? It, it doesn't matter yeah. anymore. <laughs> they don't care as long as it exists as a movie. Yep. Uh, um. This was cool. Sony and Marvel have announced that Spider-Man No Way Home is not the end for Tom Holland's role in the MCU. They have announced an entirely new trilogy, so we're getting three more Spider-Man movies. So buckle up. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I could have told you this, like, I mean, it's, you know, just like, I think think it's safe to say, like, with DC and Batman, right? Like, that is their face of that comic and probably the most successful film series they'll ever do. It's the same thing with Spider-Man and Marvel. Like it's he's very much the face, has become the face of people of Marvel. And I understand like X-Men Fantastic Four were very much first and more well known, but you could argue a lot of people know Spider-Man. A lot of people love Spider-Man. He has become kind of like their they're one of their biggest poster boys. So it it makes sense. And like we're seeing with the ticket sales, pre-ticket sales for No Way Home. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense that they would want to keep this relationship going and make more movies it does make sense and it's no surprise that like 
you know, there's no way in hell the Spider-Man franchise was going to end for good in two weeks. No. What, what I was worried about is, was this going to be Sony's last film with Marvel Studios? Because Sony's been kind of antsy about that relationship for quite some time now. There's been, you know, conflicting reports of like, they're done, they're not done, Tom Holland's done. Like, you know, now to get final confirmation that they are going to continue with three more movies, it feels good. Yeah. yeah and, and it's exciting too, because I think like we'll finally, we'll can get, we can get stuff like the college years and the adult years of Spider-Man that we don't really get as often, I feel like, in um, movie form. <laughs> I know like, I know, like, Toby Grimes actually kind of touched on that and, like, second home he was in college and so on. But, like, we don't really get a lot. You do see it in, like, the video game adaptations, the comics, obviously, not the movie side. So, like, to kind of see that grow and more likely get that going forward, because I'm going to assume that this film will be pretty much done with high school. So. Well, we've never really had, gotten to know a Spider-Man long enough to establish a relationship like that, you know? Tobey Maguire got three movies. Andrew Garfield got two movies and they just keep going right back to the beginning. Every time we never get, you know, a different section of Spider-Man's life. It's always high school. <laughs> so this time, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to get that venom spinoff thing. That's probably going to be Spider-Man four or five. Uh, you know, we'll get some, you know, Craven sinister six. If they, if this isn't the sinister six movie, there will be one sky's the limit. Now we're going to get to see some cool shit. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, it's it should be interesting. Like I said, now that Sony's finally playing ball, apparently, yeah. the sky is really the limits what they can, what they want to do. And like, you know, you kind of like we said with the end of the Venom tease, the Venom two tease, like clearly this is all now in the same universe as of now. We don't know what Spider-Man No Way Home has in store for us yet. I would. So, it's. I think it's safe money to bet that the Raimi films and Andrew Garfield's two Spider-Man films are going to become MCU canon with this movie, which is just so exciting. Well, that means the MCU, like your rewatch officially starts in 2002 now. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm still placed in bets that we're seeing the spider, the spider men. In oh, yeah. this movie. Oh yeah. All I, all I needed was as evidence was Tobey Maguire nonchalantly just walking through New York city with a fucking giant Spider-Man poster. Not with not a care in the world. That's, that's all I needed. <laughs> oh, it is happening. Nice. <laughs> he doesn't give a fuck. It's great. Oh, it'll be nice, at least for Andrew Garfield. Like when this movie finally comes out, he'll finally be able to calm down a little bit. <laughs> right. Not have to keep being like, I'm not in the movie, guys. I can't wait. On I'm one just... hand, I, like, I do. Like, as much as I'm like, dude, just stop, like, saying it because it makes you look like you're going to be in the movie. Like, you're definitely going to be in the movie. On the other hand, I kind of get it because I'm like, I would get annoyed, too, if I was trying to promote a movie and it just kept leading back to Spider-Man. Like, after a while, that would start to bug me as well. I'd be like, can you please stop asking me the fucking question? Look, Andrew Garfield, you're a great actor. You're a talented, Oscar-nominated performer. But as of right now, no one on Earth gives a fuck about the eyes of Tammy Faye or Tick, Tick, Boom. All people want to hear about is Spider-Man. So you just just go with it. <laughs> like based Sorry. off people's reactions. Yeah, based off the trailer and pre-ticket sales, I, I never thought if you were told me Spider-Man is going to be the film that gets people back to the fucking theaters during the pandemic, 
or been like, I think there's some stuff coming out before then that'll do it. Nope, apparently it's fucking Spider-Man. Yep. Godzilla, Shang-Chi, Michael Myers, and Spider-Man. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Proud of you guys. Uh, um, a little bit of sad news here. Character actor Tommy Lane has died at 83 from chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or uh, COPD, as it's commonly called. Lane was known for his role as Adam in Live and Let Die, Dr. Kananga's henchman who leads Roger Moore's James Bond on an epic boat chase through the bayou. Lane also appeared in Shaft, Ganja and Hess, and Cotton Comes to Harlem. And uh, yeah, it's a shame to hear, you know, talented character actor gone from us. And his scene in Live and Let Die is iconic. The boat chase in the bayou is one of Roger Moore's best set pieces in his run as Bond. Also introduced oh, yeah. us to the one and only Sheriff J.W. Pepper. <laughs> I hated how happy you got when you popped up in that scene. Because you know how much I hated his character. I watched Live and Let Die fairly recently. And like the more I watch it, the more just uncomfortable I get by, by that guy. <laughs> He's such a horrific racist. It's and- such a horrendous caricature. That I'm just like, oh, my God. And don't, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I can I can watch that stuff. I'm not one of those that gets fucking offended by this shit in old movies. Like, whatever. <laughs> But sometimes, like, even I'm sitting there like, ooh, that's bad. Like, it's like anytime I watch uh, the one where uh, Sean Connery does yellow face. Oh, he doesn't even do yellow face. He just changes his fucking hair. Like. Yeah. You only live it, twice. Yeah, they give him an Asian okay. style bowl cut so he can hide from the bad guys. Ugh. Yeah. It, like, it's. I, can still, I still enjoy that movie, but I just sit there every time just going, wow. That's what they decided to go with. Hmm. All right. Sheriff Pepper. I can understand that character being in Louisiana while James Bond happens to be also in Louisiana. Why the fuck does he show up on vacation in, I think, Japan in The Man with the Golden Gun? (laughs) That's what I can't forgive. He's a man of many talents, apparently. (laughs) Nope, just shouting different kinds of racial slurs this time. Yeah. It says that, like, you know that they were doing that comedy. Like, that was meant to be comedic. And it's like, I'm sure people laughed their asses off back then. Now I'm just looking at it going like, this isn't funny. (laughs) Well, you know what? Tommy Lane killed it in that boat chase. He's He left his mark on Bond history. It's a damn shame he's gone. Rest in peace. Yes, because he did. Like that boat chase sequence is definitely to me one of the biggest highlights of the entire series. Oh yeah, uh, and we've saved the best news for last. The upcoming Renfield movie, starring Nicholas Holt, has found its Count Dracula in the one, the only, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> when I texted you that, Josh was like, "You know what I mean?" It's like I already read it. I was like, "I have to put in the group chat." Because if I don't, and Connor doesn't see it, we completely missed a chance to talk about it on Sync Preview. So I was like, that's why I was like, I had I was like, I have to send this to the group chat. We must know that the best news has happened. And then we may have lost the chance to see him play Joe Exotic in the Tiger King adaptation that was going to happen. I would have been so down to see what he would have done with that character. But now we're getting him as Dracula? Fuck yes. This, the, I mean, I honestly can't imagine better better news this this week 
we're going to get to see Cage play Dracula. Vampire's Kiss is coming to life. <laughs> he is a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to happen. <laughs> he's our vampire. Oh my God. He's the vampire. He's the count. I'm so excited to see what he does because you know he's going to ham this shit up harder than he has ever done anything in his career. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's going to be great. Especially like their description of the movie is that it's going to be a broad comedy. So I'm just like, yes, he doesn't have to hold back. Has he ever held back? <laughs> Big. Oh, God. Um, Aquafina has also joined the cast. Um, Renfield is entering pre-production with no release date yet, but this is shaping up to be uh, a highly anticipated movie for me just because I've always loved Nicolas Cage. I've been a staunch supporter of him my entire life. I have watched his paycheck gigs. I have enjoyed his rebirth, and now I'm going to get to see him play Dracula. Life is good. <laughs> oh. I uh, If he doesn't do, I hope he makes some nice homages, if you will, to Vampire's Kiss. <laughs> it's Dracula. He's, I, oh, I hope so. <laughs> God, I hope so. Oh, what a terrible movie. Um, yeah, so looking forward to that. Uh, that is all that happened last week in film. Um, so before we get to our top 10 best remakes countdown, um, I did watch two 2021, well, one and a half, 2021 releases this week. Uh, I'll start with King Richard. Uh, King Richard came out a few weeks ago, but we're playing kind of fast and loose with release dates now. You know, fuck it. So I waited till I had some time to watch this two hour and 24 minute tennis drama, uh, which sounds like your living hell. <laughs> but it is a, it was really good. It was really good. Um, Will Smith's uh, best performance in years. Told a very powerful story of the rise of Venus and Serena Williams. I didn't know uh, just how unique their rise to tennis stardom was. Um, Will Smith plays their dad who recognizes their potential and spends his whole, his life, well, their lives developing them into tennis stars. He's got what three other kids that he kind of neglects for this, but you know, they're in the movie too. I thought that was kind of cool. He's like, my two kids are going to be superstars. I don't know what they're going to do, but my two, these two kids, superstars. <laughs> Another three, good luck. Yeah, it was rough, but it, it you know, I'm sure Venus and Serena take take care of their whole family. I'm sure everybody, everybody's doing great. <laughs> I'm sure, unless like their three siblings are just methods right now. We don't know. No, from what the from the movie, like they're very good parents. Like everyone's like top of their class. Like. They're good. They're good. They're good family. They're a loving family. If the movie is to be believed and Serena and Venus did produce the movie. So I, I do think it's pretty on point probably. Okay. Um, John Bernthal kills it as uh, Rick Macy, a uh, famous tennis coach who takes them on for free, just on the promise that one day they're going to be famous. Like he, he put a, it was a lot of faith and uh, he's playing against type, you know, John Bernthal usually plays like hard ass, like intense motherfuckers, but this dude's so, you know, vanilla and like beaten down that he just, he just kind of goes with it, with everything. He's kind of, you know, he's got a mustache. He talks kind of, you know, well, I don't like, I kind of like this the whole time. <laughs> so 
I, I would like to see him score an Oscar nomination for this for best supporting actor because it's it's something he's never really done before. I will always support anything with John Bernthal because that man is a fucking national treasure as far as I'm concerned. Yes, he is. He's the man. Did you, ever, did you watch the episode he did of Hot Ones? No. It's the best one. He's He really shows off like his philosophy. He said, like, I'm here to win. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this right. And like, But he talks about, you know, the way he lives his life is like, you know, he wants to be a good person. He wants to do good things like, cause he's happy to be where he is. He really like, it just made me appreciate him all the more. Like he's such a, a standup I've guy. Heard, uh, I've heard from a lot of people that have worked for him that he's like extremely nice guy, like, which it's weird. I know like for a lot of people it can be weird because you see him on screen he plays with really intense people. He plays but, like, apparently- like aggressive pricks so well. that It's just, it's hard to believe. Like, I could shake this guy's hand if I ever ran into him. Yeah. And he, like, I heard stories, like, like, he brings his dogs to set sometimes. We can't get anyone to take care of them. We'll just bring them to set. Oh, yeah. I recommend checking that out. You'll just smile the whole time. Uh, yeah, King Richard uh, is on HBO Max right now. Probably won't be there for very long. Uh, but it's very good. Probably going to be a major player in award season. And just a delightful movie. Uh some of the most tense tennis matches I've ever seen. Just the way they do it. I mean, you obviously you know who's probably going to win. You know, I've heard of Venus Williams. I've never heard of any of the other, any of these other tennis players she's playing. So I think we know who's going to come out on top. But that's not the point. The movie's about her. So I can name two tennis players, and it's those two tennis players. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, King Richard, eight out of ten. Very good movie. Now. The Power of the Dog. Uh, regrettably, not a biopic of Dog the Bounty Hunter, despite the perfect title. Uh, what this is, is essentially a super dull, meandering Western drama that was billed as a thriller. And I hate when trailers lie to me like that. When trailers trick me into watching a movie that's not the genre that was promised, I immediately go into this thing with bad int- with just a bad mood. Uh, and I'll be honest here. I watched half of this movie and I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. I've been watching this movie all day in bits and pieces. Cause I can't, I can't, I couldn't do it in one sitting. It's two hours and eight minutes long, which isn't that crazy, but it feels like it's an eternity. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, who I usually really like is woefully miscast. He's a supposed to be this hardcore rancher with a, sadistic streak that turns into love like some kind of old west scrooge i'm i'm not sure um ultimately i just thought like a thought i've never had in my life which was you know who this movie needed kevin costner <laughs> like he would have made sense in this role yeah but he he has a good gig going with yellowstone right now i know well, it's not like Cumberbatch is hurting for money. He's Doctor Strange. <laughs> yeah. I just... I'm, maybe this movie had its big, amazing moment in the final act. I won't know, because I'm, I'm, I'm not... I couldn't make it through it. I couldn't do it. So I won't give it a score, because I didn't finish the movie. Uh, but no, I would not recommend it. It's on Netflix if you want to watch it. 
No, I don't plan on watching it. So, okay. So with that, um, let's get into the meat of the show. Top ten best remakes. Um, we've each prepared our personal list of our top ten favorite remakes. Remakes, not really something we're both fans of, but sometimes every once in a while, it it, it pulls it off. The remake doesn't exactly surpass the original film, but it's it's a decent adaptation. Sometimes it does yeah. surpass. I mean, that's incredibly rare, but it does happen. Yeah, you know, and like with my list, a lot of these, in a lot of these cases, I do prefer the original, but I still really like these films. So, you know, a lot of them don't surpass. Some, in my opinion, do, but not all of them. So, yeah, like like I said, like these are just films that I personally like remakes. I really enjoyed. Um, I'm going to preface that now because I know there's at least. I for sure want to hear that when people listen to me, why the fuck is that one on there? Because I like this fucking movie. I get it. I know it's not doesn't have a lot of fans. I like the movie. I'll downhill with that movie. I'm fine with that. Well, I'm intrigued. Um, I definitely went with the uh, a rule that it could only make my top 10 if I've seen both the original and the remake. Uh, I just feel like, how am I going to be able to judge a film as a good remake if I haven't seen the original? So no Cape Fear, no Departed, like, regrettably, this is all stuff that I've seen both the original and remake of. So uh, with that, uh, why don't you start with your number 10? Uh, my number 10, I feel like it's going to be a big one for a lot of people, which, which makes me wonder what the hell does he have after this? But I went with 1986's The Fly. <laughs> and the reason I have this one at 10 is actually because I've only seen it once and I saw it late in my life. I saw it in 2018 for the very first time the whole way through. But with that said, what I saw was amazing. Um, I get why a lot of people consider this to be one of Cronenberg's masterpieces. It is a stunning film from him. Chef Goldblum is amazing. Gina Davis is completely underrated in my opinion. She does not get enough love for her part. I think she does fantastic. And the, like the makeup effects, oh my God. Seeing him transform and how they pull that off, that alone is amazing to watch. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's it, it did make my top 10. It's only at 10, again, because of how late I saw it for the first time. But this movie is fucking awesome. Wow. Yeah. Starting out big there. Um, I will save my remarks on the fly uh, for a little later. Um, I figured yours would be higher. <laughs> so my number 10 is uh, the most recent film on my list, a film I really had no interest in seeing, but ended up uh, kind of blowing my mind a little bit. Um, and that is Dune. Uh, <coughs> the original Dune, 1984, I think. Yeah, I think so. Uh don't quote me. I'm looking up right now. Let you talk. All right. Uh, is an absolute dog shit movie. I don't care who you are. If you love it, great. I don't. It's boring. It's obnoxious. It is 1984. All right, cool. And it's just, it makes no fucking sense unless you've read this 800-page tome. And I just, I haven't yet. The new one, I feel, is far more accessible. I mean, yeah, they had to cut a lot. Uh, and it is part one of a uh, 
two-parter that was not confirmed until after the film's release. So that was a, that was a gamble. But I feel like the, the film's uh, cast is phenomenal. The story is much easier to follow. The visuals are spectacular and the score is haunting. I, I really liked Dune a lot more than I thought I was going to. And I figured that would be a good, a good place to start for this list. I, uh, I sure figured you'd have this on, on here. I did not get into this movie. Um, I, know. I just, I, I just, I look, I've been kind of slowly coming off of Villeneuve and has actually a lot less to his comments, just that his work is very cold and distant. And while like, I really enjoyed it in my office power stuff, like Prisoners, uh, Sicario, and even, even Arrive when I know some people kind of get off the man wagon at that movie. Um, I just kind of do it with Dune. Like I already sat through all of Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which I did enjoy, which was cold and distant. And then he wanted to do this cold and distant. And like for me, like yeah, visually, like the visual effects were cool, but the world was just so bland and fucking boring to me. And I just was not into Timothy Chalamet's character. Like he was so fucking boring to me. I was like, I don't care what he is who he is i i don't give a shit so like just for me it was hard for me to engage in this movie and i do remember like i was just like twisting like just please in the fucking movie and then when it did and i was like i know there's supposed to be a part two but this just kind of ends like <laughs> i get it this is not for everybody this is you know just an acid trip star wars made by a philosophy major it's just the craziest shit but I think me going in with such low expectations really helped. And also, I, at that point, I didn't really have a lot of, I, I think I watched Prisoners and Blade Runner like in one weekend. We were, I remember we were supposed to do the French Dispatch for that episode, but <laughs> we couldn't get it. So we had to do Dune as kind of a last minute thing. <laughs> and I had to shove a lot of Villeneuve into like a couple days. So it just, I don't know, it just worked out for me. It was a perfect storm of like me not caring enough for it to matter and then having my expectations kind of work out. Uh, and I just, I thought the movie was exciting. So, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I realize apparently I'm, I'm on an island with that movie that I didn't think I'd be on, but here I am. Fair enough. What's your number nine? My number nine is actually the only film that even remotely breaks away from horror, and that is 2012's. I'm so pissed people didn't, enough people didn't see it in theaters, so we didn't get a sequel. Dread. Dread. Ah. This film, I, I saw it, so I can attest, people. I saw it in theaters, and it was one of the most kick-ass, like the type of action I enjoy. Um, as someone who, who, you know, I watched a lot of the 80s stuff with my dad, Growing up, I watched all those 80s action guys. I love that, like, Tread. I know John Wick's getting, obviously, a lot of the right for attention for it's done, but I argue Tread helped, in its own way, get us John Wick. Because I know it came out the same time The Raid did, which was also a big influence on John Wick. Um, but, God, this movie just kicks ass. Like, it just starts and just grips you and doesn't let go to the fucking end. And it's it's gory, it's violent, it's in your face. Carl Urban is a 
fucking badass. Someone uh, really, you could say, like a prototype of what we'd see with him and the boys now. Like, just all around, I can't get enough of this movie. I will make anyone who hasn't seen it watch it. This movie kicks all sorts of ass, especially compared to the fucking Stallone original. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I forgot all about Dread. Um, yeah, this was a pretty badass movie. Uh, definitely warranted a franchise. It's a damn shame it didn't get it. Uh, for me, though, it, it, it lost some points after I saw The Raid. Because uh, it's very similar plot. And uh, whatever, you know, that is what it is. Uh, but I know that you have a great affinity for this movie. And I, just, I saw it in theaters, too. So I get where you're, I get where you're coming from on that. Would have been cool to see more. Yeah, and I, I get when people are like, oh, it's not like the raid. And I'm just like, I get that, but it happens, right? Movies, unfortunately, it just happens. Sometimes these movies overlap and plot. It's not like they're, I doubt they were looking at what the raid was doing and like, we're going to copy that. It just, it was just a weird coincidence that happened. Um, And then it just happened to like, they just came out at the same time. Okay, my number nine is a the fourth version of this story. <laughs> and it's become kind of a generational thing to do put your own spin on this story. It's 2018's A Star is Born. Uh, I have seen the 1954 one with Judy Garland and James Mason and the 2018 one with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. And this film is just a sad, sad movie. It's, but so brilliant. Uh, you know, like I said, fourth version, it's hard to stay original when you remake a movie three times. But Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga's chemistry somehow made this work maybe better than it ever has. You had, you know, you add a fantastic supporting uh, performance from Sam Elliott into that catchy songs and just heartfelt drama that really feels genuine. And you've got one of the best films of 2018. Uh, and I never thought I would have said, I had no desire to see this. And I, when I saw it, I was, I was blown away. It's one of the films that helps me get over some personal bias in certain genres. So uh, yeah, I really like this. movie. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I actually did like this movie. I got around to watching a little bit later. I actually saw it when I was on uh, my last deployment. And I guess I was just like, you know what? I'm always bugging Connor about something to watch. Let me let me give him one and I'll watch A Star is Born because it's sitting on like the hard drive or whatever. And I'm like, okay, let me watch it. So I'm watching it and I'll be damned if like maybe like 30 minutes and I'm like, oh, God damn it. This is good. I'm sucked in. <laughs> and then I got to the ending and I'm just like, I'm not going to crack. Not. Nope. Nope. And, I, and I'm saying, just like looking around. Thankfully, I'm like alone in the building. So I'm just like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah. It, yeah. Their, their chemistry was great. They, I think they were what honestly made that film work so well was that those two alone really sold it. What? <coughs> <coughs> and I will agree. Sam, uh, Sam Elliott was 
fucking phenomenal. Like I've always liked him, but like, wow, he was really good in this. Yeah, he brought it. I didn't know he had that in him. I I think uh, Austin and I talked about this recently on an Oscar Sunday. I remember talking about this within the past month, but the scene where um, like Bradley Cooper's just got out of rehab and Sam Elliott drops him off at home and Cooper leans into the truck and says like, by the way, like I never looked up to dad. I looked up to you and they just both start sobbing. <laughs> I can't get through that scene without getting choked up. It's, it's immense, like just incredibly powerful. Uh, and like I said, you know, for a fourth version of a movie, the fact that this thing's still making people cry, still, you know, kind of uh, like representing an entire generation. That's, that's powerful stuff. I'm sure, you know, in 20 years, we'll see another one. And I'm wondering, yeah, you know, who's like, that going to be? Yeah. And then like how the song's taken off. I mean, that song has been included in probably every single version. And yet here, you, I can't stop hearing that song now. Like it was played so much when the movie came out. Yeah. And still played to this day. Well, every version of the film has its own kind of signature tune, which is cool. Uh, I haven't seen the 30s, but the 54 one had um, The Man That Got Away. Uh, the 76 one with Streisand had Evergreen. And then Lady Gaga's got Shallow. So it's kind of cool. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good one. Definitely worth watching. Uh, any of them. Yeah. Um, my number eight reminded us why clowns are fucking terrifying and you don't go near sewer trains when it's raining or ever. Just don't do that. Um, 2017's it, specifically chapter one, just so we're clear. <laughs> but uh, this was a movie that I was really hyped up to see when I started seeing like when it was finally going... <coughs> when it was finally happening and I was seeing he was getting attached, I was like, okay, we might have something here. So it was in development hell for like a while. And I, I remember when they first announced Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise, I was one of the ones, I wasn't like vocal, like, oh, I didn't know going, I don't see it. Like, I haven't really seen anything. I don't, I'll give it a shot. You know, she might impress me. And boy, God damn, did he, impressed me that whole opening scene alone is terrifying it yeah i mean this one and don't get me wrong i completely understand people who love the original who grew up with the tim curry one and i get that but this one to me just blows out fucking water like they they go a lot more faithful they go for the r rating while excising a scene that no one wants to see much less read about Mr. King, um, and um, making Pennywise—sorry, oh, making Pennywise so fucking scary. Because, like I said, Bill Skarsgård, all the praise for his performance, and all the praise to the kids. I thought that just like how you know one of the things that makes Stranger Things work so well is the kid actors, right? Same here. It's like these kids are really what make you keep watching. Like they are a believable set of children facing something truly just fucking out of this world and i can't i've seen this film a shit ton since it's come out i've seen chapter two a couple of times but i still mainly go back to chapter one like that is just my preferred of the two yeah i uh i'll have more to say about it a little bit later but uh yeah, chapter two is good but jesus christ is it 
way too long than it needs to be. There's no yeah, reason that film needs to be nearly three hours long. It's like way too long. And then I think what bugged me is how much he said we got to scare adults, but they played into comedy a lot throughout the movie. And I'm like, yeah. you you say you're going to try to scare adults, but you're playing in a comedy. So what the fuck were you trying to do? Ah, yeah. Like I said, I'll, I'll say more later. Um, my number eight uh, was the last film I saw in 2020 before COVID uh, nearly destroyed everything. 2020's The Invisible Man. Uh, this was such a neat way to do this story. To turn, like to make the protagonist a, you know, domestic abuse survivor and to make the bad guy a brilliant scientist who invented an invisible suit so he could fuck with his ex-wife. I mean, what the hell? And yet somehow this film is insanely creepy, super intense, and really keeps you on your toes the entire time. Uh, very smart. A great palate cleanser for Universal's second attempt at a dark universe. Uh, hopefully this one works out. I guess we'll see. But um, the original is a great movie, too. Uh, 1933's Invisible Man with uh, Claude Rains is still holds up. The visual effects are surprisingly good for 1933. Yeah, like, and he's psychotic as fuck in that movie. Yeah, that movie predates World War II, and it still looks amazing. That's kind of incredible. Uh, not to mention, that dude has the highest body count of Universal's movie monsters because of that fucking train crash he causes. Yeah, that's... I remember watching that going, this is surprisingly dark from the time it came out. Like, holy fuck. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and the remake holds up. The remake is a, it's a good... I like when a remake tries a little something new while still maintaining the flavor of the original. I don't like shot for shot and I don't like straight up uh, avoidance. You need that, that happy medium. And this movie really does have it. Uh, agreed. Um, just like with some picks I did, I'll go more into this movie later. Cause we do have a lot with that one. <laughs> it is on my list. So with that, I'll go into my number seven. And this was the one that, I had to, why I said, my goddamn list, it's a personal pick. I get it. I am so sorry to all the fucking fanboys out there that want a new movie bad. And we've been getting all the fan films because of it, which I've highly enjoyed. 2009's Friday 13th. Oof. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I know. Hot take. I know. <laughs> this is probably my only hot take on this list, I think. I get it. A lot of people fucking hate this movie. I don't understand the hate. I really don't. I The opening 20 minutes are fucking phenomenal. And after that, I would argue it's still very much Friday 13th movie. Now, I get it. I do get the um, survivalist Jason aspect that a lot of people fucking hate. My argument with that is if they're basing off the first four films when Jason was very much human... And not zombie Jason from six onward. So I make the argument that, like, if anything, they're keeping in line with the first four films of him being human Jason and getting around the camp. So that doesn't bother me. Um, I think Derek Mears is one of the best at it at Jason Boys. I'm not saying he is the best. I still reserve that spot for Kane Hodder, but Derek Mears is up there. That man is terrifying as Jason Voorhees, in my opinion. Um, and look, if you. <laughs> Can you really hate on a movie where characters having sex 
and spends half the time going on about this chick's tits. <laughs> With lines like, your tits are stupendous. <laughs> you could win number one in a, in a titty contest or like my personal favorite, you have perfect nipple placement. <laughs> it's a type of dialogue I won in my Friday 13th and I enjoy that scene because of it. So I, I get, it's a hot take. I know I'm definitely getting the ire of some people, including my roommate when he listens to this episode, <laughs> but I will die on the hill that it's the 2009 Friday 13th. I'm, I'm a fan of this movie. Well, I, uh, there is no overlap here. I've, uh, I don't have my, my, a lot of thoughts about the Friday the 13th franchise. I've never been that wowed. I don't have any thoughts on the 2009 remake in regards to like how accurate is Jason. I have never given a fuck. So good for you. Uh, keep watching it. I will. I will. Because uh, guess what, fans? Until they figure that shit out out of court now, we're not getting a new one. So you take what you can get. I like to choose. I like to believe that in 2009, Sam and Dean Winchester took a break. Sam went to go take on Jason and Dean went to go take on uh, the, I don't remember his name from My Bloody Valentine. Oh, the minor. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Josh. I know we, we did that episode. I don't remember <laughs> the minor's name. This I'm so sorry. Josh is going to kill mostly me when he listens to this. I put this on the list knowing I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm going to fucking draw hate on this one. It's Harry something. Harry. Ah, fuck. All right. Give me a second. <laughs> Are you looking it up? Yes. Harry Warden. Oh, okay. There it is. Harry Warden. That was going to bother me. <laughs> All right. That was your seven? That was my seven, yes. All right. I say Hot take. Very hot take. Uh, my seven, pretty regarded as a decent movie, which surprised the shit out of me because it's a remake of one of my all-time favorites. Uh, and you know me. Don't touch my favorite movies or I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> so the fact that the 2011 remake of Fright Night is good still astonishes me to this day. <laughs> uh, I really like that movie. It's a great double feature with the original it expands on a lot of things that I thought the first one lacked, like particularly the role of Charlie Brewster's mom, played by Tony Collette in this in the remake. Uh, Colin Farrell does a great job as Jerry. Anton Yelchin kills it as Charlie. Uh, David Tennant steals the show as Peter Vincent, a washed up Vegas asshole. It's perfect, and it's just it it doesn't just you know rehash the first one. It adds to the mythology. It changes the location to Vegas, a perfect place where people just disappear and no one questions it. Like there's so much to like about the set, about the remake. And I'm so glad it worked out. Uh, yeah. 2011 is Friday night. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm with you. I actually saw the remake before I saw the original. Cause the original you, when you, when you came to my place, Washington's, I finally had a chance to like watch the original movie. So I remember watching that without the baggage of like, Oh, you cannot touch Friday night. I just was like, Oh, Hey, they're doing this remake of the movie. I haven't seen like, I'll at least check out the remake. Because at the time, I think we had Netflix anyway, so it was easy enough. Um, and by Netflix, I mean like the in the mail service, ladies and gentlemen. Um, 
And um, I remember going like, you know, not like I'm not going to like rave and rave on about this movie, but a pretty good movie. I I really like Colin Farrell as the bad guy. I thought, you know, if you're gonna get anyone that you can play bad yet also kind of sexy, Colin Farrell is probably like one of your perfect casting voices for that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, you get as far as I'm concerned, horror royalty at this point, and Tony Collette playing the mom. Um, Anton Yelchin, you know, R.I.P. killed it in the main role. I, I thought. Um, I liked uh, the chick he played his girlfriend. I think it was Imogen Poots, I believe. I think that was her, yeah. Yeah. Um, and getting, um, oh, God, the comedian. Fuck. Freevoid. Oh, Christopher Mintz Plass. There you go. Like, who I think at that, I mean, that was at the time that he was really hot off of, like, the Seth Rogen comedies and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's a pretty stellar cast, and they all commit. And like you said, they don't, now that I've seen the original, they don't take anything away. They really enhance bits and pieces here are very much honoring the original even to the point that they got um you know the original cherry into the a cameo appearance which was really neat yeah i love yeah chris sarandon's brief bit as the guy who like hits their car on the highway and is like what are you doing and then gets eaten by colin farrell that was just great <laughs> yeah definitely a fan i love that i've got two great fright night movies to watch on any given time uh, that's that doesn't happen often <laughs> so well done yeah much less of a hot take yeah. <laughs> i'm glad that one's over with though so, uh the next one um my number six is to me what happens we talked about actually when we talk about worst remakes what happens when you don't get Wes craven involved in your fucking remake of one of his movies my number six is a great example of what does happen when you get him involved and you show him fucking respect and you want to make an updated version of his movie. That would be 2006's The Hills Have Eyes. Like, if you've seen the original, you've kind of seen it. Like, it's, it follows that plot, plot very closely. Um, I love the original movie. But Aja, like I said, he, you know, by going to Craven and getting his approval and making sure that he was okay with the script and the story direction, everything we want to do while still making it very much an Aja film, which that was off his high tension run. So, was, you know, you knew what you were getting shows in the final product. This is a, I mean, look, this is for me, a long time horror fan, a comfort movie, not for most people. I'm going to say that right now. This is very much an in your face, brutal, violent as fuck, gory fucking horror movie but a really hard to watch trailer sequence. And if you know anything about this movie, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it, it's, you know, it, it, and I'll say this first, like rough as that scene can get to their credit, the part when um, he gets revenge on the mutants, the movie makes it satisfying. It is incredibly satisfying. And it does have to do a lot with the fact that, yeah, they fucking up the gold crochet huge. And it's it's pretty cool. And the moon designs in this movie are fucking just disgusting and so cool. I love that this is a comfort movie for you. My parents walked out of this. <laughs> I, 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 I want to have a good time. <laughs> I know. My, yeah, I... I've only seen the remake. I've yet to watch the original Hills Have Eyes. Um, but I, did, I didn't I did think it was horrible. I thought it was, you know, 
violent as fuck, but like you said, ultimately satisfying to watch these assholes get theirs. Uh, so yeah, I knew this was going to be on your top 10. You, you really like this movie. I love this movie so much. <laughs> Very nice. Um, that was six, right? Yes. My number six uh, is one of the all-time greatest heist movies ever and one of the few times where the remake 100% eclipses the original film. 2001's Ocean's Eleven. Uh, if you've ever seen 1960s, uh, 60 or 66, uh, Ocean's Eleven with the Rat Pack, uh, you'll know that it's absolute horseshit. It's horrendous. <laughs> it's way too long. Uh, the heist is ridiculous. The ending is stupid. And I barely remember most of it, yet, despite the fact that I watched it this year. <laughs> and so you're a fan? You could say that, yeah. Uh, the remake, however, has an incredible cast of A-listers, a great plot, a cool heist flavor that pulls the rug out from under you right at the end, like a good heist movie should. You know, there's the heist, and then there's the real heist, that whole thing. And uh, Soderbergh really stylizes this thing to make it just an enjoyable ride. And who else but Clooney could lead a, a gang like this? Um, Ocean's Eleven's a, a delightful movie. I go back to constantly. It's uh, the best of the franchise. Twelve and thirteen and eight have their 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 good parts, but none of them ever come close to the first one. And uh, yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, um, I've only seen the movie once, and maybe it wasn't my cup of tea. But like I said, Soderbergh Soderbergh's another one that I've had like a weird relationship with. Where like, there's just something about his movies I've never been able to just get into them. I don't know what it is. I don't. I have nothing against them. I just every time I sit down and watch me, I go, okay, and I walk away not feeling anything. I'm like, I don't get it. Um, I then like because of it, I haven't seen twelve and thirteen. I did see eight with Sandra Bullock. I remember liking it, but again, I haven't been like, <clears throat> let me go watch that again. But I know you're a big fan of this. You've mentioned to me numerous times. So I'm not surprised to see it on your list one bit. Yeah, especially since, you know, I watched the original expecting a classic and I was like, what is this <laughs> boring as, you know, Frank and Dean, you know, self-indulgent, boring as 60s movie. I mean, ugh. I, yeah, do, so. <laughs> I do think it's funny, though, that like my comfort movie is the Hells Have Eyes remake and yours is something like Ocean's Eleven really speaks to the the movie fans here <laughs> i like horror movies but you know when i need to relax and unwind and kind of just want to turn my brain off typically i'm not going to go for just you know rampant violent mutant rape and murder <laughs> most of the time that's the first thing i'm going for <laughs> oh boy uh so yeah number six oceans 11 okay nice uh number my number five is going back to the overlap movie Invisible Man for me at number five. Um, like you, you know, like I got lucky and I happened to see it on TV, the original one. I remember really going like, wow, this is really good. Like this film holds up all these years later. And now I'm a proud owner of like the Blu-ray box set that has like all the fucking universal monsters. And um, I remember when I heard about this, it was after seeing an upgrade and they announced that, hey, they're remaking Invisible Man. And later when I was directing... And all I could think was like, oh my God. Sounds like they've learned their lessons from the mummy. 
and Lewinell's directing you all, and everyone knows how much I fucking love Upgrade. So I was just like, oh my god, yes, 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 yes. This couldn't be more perfect. I was there like opening fucking night for that movie, and oh my god, what I guys exactly, and you hit the nail on the head on what I got. A movie that takes this story and still very much keeps it an Invisible Man movie, but finds a way to modernize it for today's audience in a very clever and effective way. And like, I'll say it to all the people that are sitting there, because I know there's been some guys coming out being like, it's a feminist movie and shut the fuck up. It presents a very real situation that happens to a lot of people, which is what makes this film so terrifying. Now, obviously, for these people, they're not putting on invisible suits. I get that. But the inherent issues she's facing is already terrifying, which I think is what's so perfect and what he does so well. He makes her inherent, her initial situation terrifying and then adds that invisible suit to it. But what I love is that he plays with you kind of throughout the movie of like, is she really like, is it really him invisible or is she like losing her own mind at several points? And like, what the fuck, like the way he plays with your own mind a little bit is fucking stellar and i'll never forget that theater moment when her sister gets her throat cut and the gasp that went around the whole theater because the knife's right fucking there you can see it but you're so engaged with the scene you don't see it like your mind just doesn't register it so you just go wait what the fuck? and then boom and you're just like oh shit <laughs> and it's so so perfect and then like i loved too how he was able to still get in his signature action scenes from upgrade in the escape i was like i remember just kind of losing my, my shit in the theater like oh, upgrade action scenes yes yes <laughs> like i just i really lay no man between this movie and upgrade he i fucking love him as a director so much and i am so excited to what he does next i think i he was tapped to do another universal monster and i think he had to drop out because of scheduling issues but either way, whatever he does next, I'm fucking there. Yeah. Invisible Man's really cool and really uh, cemented Lee Winnell as a guy to look out for in the future. Because not only was the Invisible Man a critical success, it was a huge box office success right before theaters shut down. Uh, so definitely he's going to have his pick of the projects. And I'm, I'm excited to see what he grabs. If he wants to stay original or if he's going to get the helm some like some more iconic horror Rates. We'll see. Yeah, he, God, he would have, like, I remember for the longest time, I was like, man, James Bond's really doing great, but later now, I just don't, I yeah. see him kind of sticking with, like, Insidious and stuff, and, man, when I finally saw up here, I'm like, holy fuck. I'm yeah. like, all right, later now, let's, let's see what you got. You're really fucking okay. Well, I remember when I saw him, you know, pretend to choke on that cigarette poison and saw, I remember thinking, well, he's not going to make it as an actor. So I hope he's a good writer. <laughs> yeah, people give him shit for that scene, but I think it's more like he is purposely doing it as bad as possible. Well, in that case, he did a great job. <laughs> um, my number five also overlap. 2017's It. Uh, so I have no personal beef with 1990's It. It's a TV movie. It, it did with, you know, they did what they could. Uh, Tim Curry made Pennywise, you know, that an iconic image of, of uh, movies and TV. But Bill Skarsgård, <laughs> he made him the evil, sadistic demon that King envisioned. 
And uh, I'll never, yeah, it freaked me the fuck out when I saw it at the movies. I remember just like the visuals, like the the painting lady coming to life. <laughs> Fucking outstretched, uh, outstretched hand from the gutter. Reaching oh. For oh my god georgie walking away with no arm like did actually show that oh my god like what a game changer um and then just like you know him coming out of the home movie uh the opening the, you know the whole thing of the deadlights it really did a good job showing this you know i like that they moved it to the 80s instead of the 50s thought that was really smart the kids had such great chemistry you really believed they were friends uh, and he just was so evil, so twisted. You believe that this thing was, you know, like the devil as a clown. It was, it was crazy. Uh, the score is super intense. Um, I thought, you know, splitting it in half was really smart. It's, it stands on its own, but if you want to watch chapter two, you can, but like, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, you know, we don't get to see all these kids fuck each other in the sewer. So that's, that's also a positive. That's look. <laughs> As someone who's now read it twice, because I reread it when I bought the book, probably. Yeah, I'm okay. I, 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 I don't, I don't need it. It's, it was just as awkward to read that scene as when I first read the book. It, it made me stop reading it. I, I read that and I'm like, I'm, I'm good. I'm done. I don't need to read the rest of this. I'm, I've been reading this for like eight months. I think I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be so bad if King would just be like, Hey, look, yeah, I made it. That wasn't a good idea. But he keeps trying to defend the scene. He's got an out. Just say it was the coke. It was the coke writing. It wasn't me. It was the coke. Just say that and you're out. Yeah. Stop <laughs> trying to say like, well, it's really solidifying their friendship. I don't need to read a story about they all go and how they're inside her to solidify this friend and how Ben was apparently like the biggest like packing one there. Like, I don't need to know this king. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'm going to choose to believe it was the coke, even though King won't fucking admit it. He won't just let that one slide. I, I don't know. I know there's art. They're sacrificing artistic integrity. And then there's this. <laughs> just just back, just back it off, buddy. Just stop. Steve, come on, man. Well, no one's going to be mad if you go like, I probably shouldn't have heard that scene. We'll be like, yeah, no, we agree. <laughs> oh, if my God. Disagrees with that statement. I have you should not be around children. <laughs> I want to point out real quick. I've 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 uh, fell down a bit of a YouTube rabbit hole. I've been watching um, fan made trailers of classic movies recut to be different genres, and uh, somebody recut the 1990 It to look like a family comedy, and it's like about a, a group of kids who can't quite you know be happy, and they meet this friendly clown who shows them how great life is. It was so funny. <laughs> I'll I'll send you the link. It's great. Okay. <laughs> ah, so yeah, number five, it. Nice. My number four. Uh, it's not a comfort movie, to give you an idea. Um, and a lot of people love to pull the well, it's not really a remake because of the post-credit scene, which is one fucking scene of him saying the word. So it doesn't count to me. And yep. that is 2013's very much a remake at this point. Evil Dead. It, you know, I know a lot of people when it first announced, obviously came out of the woodwork. It's like, how the fuck can you touch Evil Dead? Yep. And I was one of those. I was like, really? You're going to touch Evil Dead? And what's funny is that this was the same year they announced a new Texas Chainsaw. I was super excited for the Texas Chainsaw movie. 
I was like, oh, Evil Dead. Mm, don't remake that. When the Red Band dropped for this trailer, I remember watching it and then coming over to your place and being like, dude, have you seen the Red Band? Nope. Pull that shit up. Because holy shit, did they just lay down the gauntlet in that Red Band trailer? Like, this is the Evil Dead you're getting. But again, people still complain, right? Because they're like, well, it's not comedic. It's not funny. The first Evil Dead, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, is not comedic at all. Yep. The very original 1981 <laughs> film, not comedic. Very much a horror film for its time. The sequel goes much more into comedy and plays into what Sam Raimi tends to like a lot more. So with that, them basing off that original, it made sense they went for the more in-your-face route. Yeah. Watching this film... Yeah, watching this film in theaters, I got lucky, saw it with a crowd. What a fucking one. That was just like fun time at the theaters. Everyone was on board. Everyone's freaking out during the gross scenes. And just like, it was just a fun watch. <coughs> and like I said, it's like Hills of Eyes, right? Like it is in your face. It is gory as fuck. But it is so much goddamn fun. I mean, the whole... If you can't have a good time when the whole third act is just raining blood and we're having to fight a demon, like, I don't know what you find fun in life, all right? Because that was insanely fun for me. Um, yeah, I, I've seen this film a shit ton since it's come out. I fucking, I love this movie to death. <laughs> I saw this with my mom and my uncle and they both fucking hated it. <laughs> and I... I'm, I'm, I, had, I had mixed feelings at first. I was like, I, I'm very loyal to the Evil Dead franchise. I love those movies. I love the show. So the remake very much was like, what, why are you doing this? You know, they broke. Don't fix it. Stop it. How dare, who, who are you to think you can do better? And I saw it and I'm like, you know what? There's, there, this is something else. <laughs> and then I, um, I think we were going to, we were going to do a marathon or something and you had like your movies packed up for something. So I'm like, fuck it. I went and bought out. I bought the remake. <laughs> I was like, we got to do this right. And um, I think it was right when we started the website, we were, we were trying to fill it with uh, reviews of classics. So we decided to do the evil dead movies. That's why. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that watch proved to me like, this is pretty good. And uh, then I showed my cousin, the evil dead movies and I capped it off with the remake. And it's just, it's become part of the watch. You know, if I'm in a marathon Evil Dead, I'm going to watch that one too. It's, yeah. it's pretty good for, for a remake of such a classic. And that's, that's, that's kind of astonishing. And it is yeah. unbelievably brutal. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, like, you know, Mia sawing her tongue in half with the knife and just, you know, the electric knife kind of fucking up that guy's arm. <coughs> the chainsaw in the face. <laughs> yeah. Pulling it's her deep. hand off when it gets tracked stuck under the car. You know, like the little scene where she's like hiding and that thing's stabbing the machete through the wall and it fucking gets her leg and it's just like up close and you see it and pull out and like, oh, like, and then, no, I like, yeah. And then to just cap it off with Bruce Campbell, a little groovy at the end there. Yeah. To me, that doesn't represent like a whole conspiracy theory. That's Bruce Campbell putting his stamp of approval on a remake of the movie that started his career. That's all it yeah. is. Yeah. And and like I said, even if like I know they've talked about actually making it like where Mia pops up in a future Evil Dead property, and that would be fucking awesome. But as it stands, like right now I'm looking at it as a remake, 
and it, it to me it works and like you said like dear god and it was so i remember when i watched that red man i felt like i hope they're not putting all the violence in the fucking red band i no, no they they held back um one of the scenes that still gets me man is as someone who wears contacts and glasses when the dude pulls that fucking needle out of his eye and does the up close shot god damn and by the way that guy i thought he was like going to be like the new ash per se for lack of a better word here because boy does he get beat up he gets the fucking thing in the eye he gets the nail gun all up in his arm and then oh god it's still every time i say it it looks fucking painful like it hurts my hand when it when she does the machete and it on the crowbar and it splits his fucking hand in half Woo! <laughs> yeah this is not your mama's evil dead this is uh this is something else <laughs> I mean, you know, the original Evil Dead is a gory masterpiece, but this movie hyped it up. Holy shit. Yeah, and it's why I wish Freddy Everest would just have made a sequel to this fucking movie instead of Don't Breathe. I didn't need a Don't Breathe too, but I would have been down for an even more out there Evil Dead sequel. It's still so funny to me that he had the fans vote. Like, what do you want? Don't Breathe 2, Evil Dead 2. And everyone voted for Evil Dead. And he's like, say no more. And here we are with Don't Breathe 2. <laughs> it's so weird because it's like dude there was like if like again you, we talked about right the hatred for this movie at first when it was first announced like how dare you try to remake evil dead and he made a movie that won those people over like almost the entire fan base not everyone but a good chunk went this is pretty good to then turn around and say like yeah we want you to do a sequel and he's like no i'm like you literally proved yourself they're like making a sequel would be so fucking easy for you because no one's against you this time. Maybe now with Don't Breathe you, they might be a little against you. But <laughs> come on, man. But I can't complain too much because, you know, we are getting that new Evil Dead movie next year. Yes. And I'm very excited for so. Absolutely. Sweet. Uh, yeah. There's some, some I just, like, knowing you well enough, there's some that I'm like, yeah, they're, they're going to be in here. I think I know what your number one is, but uh, we'll see. I might surprise you because uh, I'll, I'll say this much: my two and my one. I was I spent a long time debating whether to place them because they both mean a lot to me. Same, I, for me, my top three are that. Uh, so I think it's my four. Yeah, because that was my number four. My number four is a western, uh, and it's not three ten to Yuma because I haven't seen the original, but that would be here if I have seen the original. Uh, but I have seen both versions of True Grit. Uh, the Coen Brothers remake of John Wayne's piece of shit that does not deserve the adoration it has gotten. That movie is horrible. That man is horrible. I, I have a deep disrespect for John Wayne. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen 69's True Grit. He did not deserve that Oscar. Moving on. 2010's True Grit is a very honest, very realistic Western complete with stupendous Coen Brothers dialogue. And a great performance by Jeff Bridges as Rooster Cogburn. Uh, I believe he's a U.S. Marshal. Yeah. And uh, Haley Steinfeld, Matt Damon, Josh Brolin, all fantastic. And it's just a wonderful uh, neo, I don't know, neo-Western, you would call it that. I don't want to step on any film school student toes here. I'm just going to call it a Western and be safe. Yeah, good, good idea. I was trying to overstep there, trying to bite off more than I could chew. I took three film classes in college. I can't do it. Uh, You're a fucking Mozart of film now, aren't you? 
Here's me pushing your glasses up right now. Uh, excuse me, I've taken three courses on film. Okay, actually, I liked your grit. I love the Coen brothers. Uh, they filmed this not too far from my house, which is pretty cool. They filmed a part in the Blanco courthouse. Uh, I, I know you say not too far from my house. You remember where I lived? Well, you don't live there now. My family oh, still no. lives there. So valid statement. But I'm just saying <laughs> I lived even closer because remember I lived right down the fucking road from the courthouse. You live on the other side of the country now. So not when this movie was filmed. <laughs> I don't care. I'm taking it. I'm taking the. I, I'm taking. I it. could look to the right on my front yard. Just take a quick look to the right, and there's a courthouse right there. Well, you moved, so you don't get I that know. anymore. I will say this: like, look, getting to school was a bitch that week. I fucking hated it so much because <laughs> they oh. had to redirect fucking traffic. Oh my god, I hated it. Brief aside: they were filming. Um, Richard Linklater was filming his. Uh, uh, everybody wants some movie while I was um, at Texas state while I was there. And I didn't know until I went to my film class and my teacher was like, Hey, did anybody see link later out in the quad filming? And I'm like, you fucking what, when, what? <laughs> like Nobody told me. I had no idea. <laughs> I was so pissed. I, hey, look, if it helps, you know, they, I lived right down the road from the courthouse. I never once saw Jeff Bridges or Haley Steinfeld. So never once did I see them in person. Grant, I know that doesn't say at the time not saying much for Haley Seinfeld. She was just a kid back then. But as a lot of people know, in case you aren't following her career, she's huge now, and she's currently on Hawkeye. So, yeah, yeah, you can say she's huge now. She has the Hawkeye gig. She's been in Transformers. Like, she's she's going places. Uh, I did. I have met one of the actors in that um in that scene, the lawyer, uh, who's prosecuting, who's like asking uh rooster all the you know questions i don't remember what specifically but you remember that guy yeah 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 i met him so that's cool one of my classmates met um jeff bridges but he planned it because i knew what he was doing he put on a big lebowski t-shirt and was just walking around the set randomly and sure enough i think like jeff bridges daughter happened to be there like ran out and was like hey can you sit here real quick and then like ran back to the trailer to go grab her dad who was jeff bridges (laughs) Okay, that's pretty cool. Well, shady the way he did that, but still pretty cool. It's shady, but he met Jeff Bridges, so like, yeah. is he wrong for doing it? You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, anyway, yeah, True Grit is a really cool, uh, really good remake. Also, you know, it's cool to see the Coens do a western. Uh, definitely a, a good watch. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll look. Uh, actual movie, not the fact that we grew up in the town it filmed in. Um, no, this is actually a really good movie. I remember, um, obviously, like a lot of people in Blanco, you were saying, we rushed to rent it because we're like, oh, they filmed at the courthouse. We got to watch it. And um, I'm actually like, really happy with this movie. I didn't like that Jeff Bridges felt the need to keep doing that accent for another like, movie or two. <laughs> I don't know why he felt that was a good creative choice there. Yeah, he kind of just fell into the role for a few movies. Yeah, I remember that was that bothered me a lot too. Yeah, um, I'm glad to see he's not doing that anymore. Um, but uh, he 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 really does kill it in this movie, and so him and Matt Damon to me are just fucking phenomenal in this movie. They crush it. And Haley Steinfeld, you do see why she's getting played the role she's getting now for sure as a kid already in her first role. Just all great. I actually have seen the original. 
uh, True Grit. I don't hate it as much as you. I don't mind the movie. It's not my go-to, but again, it's not necessarily that I am on the... I think my thing with John Rance is like, it's hard for me to get into his films because I'm, I'm such a big fan of like the Clint Eastwood style of restaurants and that spaghetti restaurant where yeah. it's to be just more realistic of like how it was instead of this just black and white, like these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. Like it's just like, that's just really bland storytelling to me. I get that that's what was big. I understand its place in history and why it's there. It's just for me personally, hard for me to get into. Yeah, fair enough. I, you know, Austin and I did a whole episode on Filmgasm about John Wayne and we learned about who he really was as a person and we, we didn't care for it. He was a racist, misogynist, homophobic piece of shit who does not deserve the national adoration he's been getting for, you know, half a fucking century. Uh, a lot of his movies bleed together, but some stand out. I like Rio Bravo. I like The Searchers. I like The Man Who Shot Liberty Balance. So I'm not, I don't hate his work, but True Grid is just a boring slog of a movie that the Coens did so much better. Mm-hmm. So. No, I, I think the Coens are a lot better with it, so... That said, my number three, which is the only hot take about this for some people, is that they'll probably be like, this should be your number one. It's the greatest remake of all time. Because it's directed by one of the greatest directors of all time. Okay. 1982's John Carpenter's The Thing. Look, give me a break. I put it at number three. And that's because the two above it just mean more to me. That's it. With that said, yeah, this remake is fucking spectacular. Like, it boggles my mind that this film flopped and people hate on it so hard when it first came out because from the performances, Carpenter's direction, the amazing practical effects, which as we talked about when I brought up the fucking remake for my worst remakes, one of the things I hated about was that they covered up all the practical works that they were going to do with CGI and it looked like shit. This film looks better than the fucking 2011 movie. And this was this came out in 80 fucking two. And yeah, it just this movie, like what hasn't been said really about this movie? Like this is such an expert film in isolation and paranoia. Um fucking so many great scenes. And one of the one of the, to me, like the three that collaboration period between Carpenter and Kurt Russell that just gave us things like this movie and Escape from New York. And Big Trouble in Little China, like we got some really great fucking movies out of these, these two that I kind of wish they had gone on longer, but I'll take what I can get, you know. So yeah, number three, man, the thing, like this, this movie rocks. Y'all know how much I fucking adore the thing, but it did not make my list specifically because I have never seen the '50s movie that I believe Howard Hawks uh, directed. I've never seen the thing from another world, so. I could not include the thing. Sorry. But yeah, I'm, it's a great movie and it's a masterpiece. And you can't talk about the best remakes of all time without this film being represented. So I'm glad it, it's on your list. Yeah. Like I said, the only hot take is I'm sure some people are going to be like, it should be number one. It should be higher. Again, look, just again, it's personal, right? Subjective, personal. Just the two that I'm about to say here, just they have a lot more special place in my heart. That said, like I said, it's number three. I fucking love this movie. The Thing is great. It's a great fucking movie. One To me, one of the best fucking endings of all time. Oh, yeah. Why don't we just stay here for a while? See what happens. Ah!
I get chills every time. It's there's so many little things that are like, maybe it's him, maybe it's him, maybe it's nobody. Mm-hmm. Ah. <laughs> <coughs> so great. Um, I bought the uh, the video game they did uh, in the early 2000s on PlayStation 2. I found it at a thrift store and I bought it and I started playing it a little bit. And it's a slow going, but it's, it's very atmospheric and uh, yeah, builds off the off the movie. Yeah, I'll say I've heard from a lot of video game sites like if you, it's not a bad game. Nah. Once I have some downtime, I'm going to properly get into that. But very cool. Um, my number three is the only superhero movie on my list. And technically not a remake. It's Hollywood would call it a reboot, which I think is just a fancy word for a remake. <laughs> so it is. It's a fancy word for a remake. Yeah. But also, this is a film that gave my favorite superhero a new chance at life and turned Christopher Nolan into a household name, 2005's Batman Begins. Uh, If you want to call it a remake, it's a remake of the Adam West movie and Tim Burton's Batman 89, if you want to call it a remake. I'm calling it a remake because I wanted it on this list. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. Batman Begins is a fucking masterpiece. It's so cool. And it's a proper full-length origin story for Bruce Wayne. And it works. I mean, you've got a great villain uh, trifecta in Ra's al Ghul, Scarecrow, and Carmine Falcone. All three played phenomenally by Liam Neeson, Killian Murphy, and Tom Wilkinson, respectfully. I mean, respectively. And respectfully. Well done, man. <laughs> but <laughs> Christian Bale kills it as Batman. The It's... The score, the direction, the fact that this movie had so much to live up to. It had to restore everyone's faith in Batman after 97. And it pulled it off. You know, with from this, we got the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight Rises. And, you know, a bit of a rocky Zack Snyder uh, series of events. And now we're getting Matt Reeves' Batman. So really, you can trace all of that back to Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins, one of the greatest superhero movies of all time, and a fantastic redemption story for the Dark Knight himself. So there it is. I mean, if you really want to, you could say it's because of Batman Robin that we got all this stuff, because the movie had to flop and be so bad for this to even happen. I don't know if that's how, the, I don't know if that's how a lot of people see it. I don't know if. I mean, it's kind of true though, because if Batman Robin had been good, right, and it done well, we would have gotten the Nick Cage Superman film and the Batman tri- Triumphant, or whatever the fuck they were going to call it, and all that other shit. But instead, that flops. So they were like, let's cancel everything and put this on hold. And then they took their time, and we got Batman Begins, which then led to all of the greatness we have now. Okay, first off, I would I would have killed to see Nicolas Cage play Scarecrow, and <laughs> secondly. When a building burns down and they have to rebuild the building, you don't thank the asshole who burned the building down for letting people build a new building. That's, that's not how it works. I'm new it in this case. <laughs> Whatever. If you want to, all right, you want to give praise to Batman and Robin for one, fucking up so hard and gave us great a, Batman movies, that's, that's for you, man. One had to be a martyr for the rest. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I love Batman Begins. Uh, it's a toss-up between that and The Dark Knight for me. I think they're both fantastic equally. Uh, but, you know, I yeah, enough said. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I actually, I, I really like Batman Begins. Um, all my 
you know, comments I've made about Nolan aside right now, he does ace it with this. Um, I think the only thing I've never really enjoyed about his run with Batman was that I don't think for, for someone who actually isn't that bad with fight choreography in other films, I don't think his fight scenes are that great in his Dark Knight trilogy, except the Bane Batman fighting Dark Knight Rises. I think that one works really well. But besides that, I usually just kind of like, eh. I, I see that as him being, you know, trying to create a realistic world of Batman. And in this world, you know, not everybody's a fucking ninja. Not everybody can fight that amazing. So some of the fight teams are yeah, going to be kind of bland because everyone kind of is just people. Yeah, but it does make for the most exciting watch. I'm guessing. I think it does. I love those movies. <laughs> I've never had a problem with that. <laughs> Point being. <laughs> no, I do I do really like uh, Batman Begins. I love the use of Scarecrow. I was really glad to see them uh, use Scarecrow. And I've always thought Khalil Murphy is one of those like really underrated actors. And he crushed it, and I love that Nolan kept bringing him back yeah. for the sequels. Like how he popped up, I think it was for the drug deal or whatever, like at the very beginning of the movie of Dark Knight, and then he pops up as like the judge in Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. I think um, a lot of people don't give Liam Neeson enough credit as Ra's al Ghul. It was really cool to see him play a bad guy. You don't, he hasn't played a lot of villains in his career. And no, he kills it to me in this. He's fantastic. He just, I believe that he was, you know, uh, God knows how old, possibly immortal warlord who's just been re, you know, rebuilding the world in his image. And I, if anyone's going to play a convincing immortal, it's fucking Liam Neeson. Even though his Rachel Ghoul was supposed to be just another guy, and then then it's a mantle passed on because this is realism. But it just it just worked. He was great, and I love seeing him again in The Dark Knight Rises for that brief cameo. Or well, I love that that's what it was supposed to be, but because he did so well, they just went ahead and were like, yeah, he's Rachel. Like they're just like fuck it. He did good enough. We're just gonna make him rich. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Now my number two. Now again, boy, did my number two, my number one took me a while to put other at because I really love these two films. But right now, as it stands, my number two is one that you know all too well that I've sung his praises for for years, and that is 2003's The Texas Chainsaw massacre no it does not obviously surpass the original film but dear god if i'd never seen to me a remake where everyone involved understood the fucking assignment and executed it they made a film that did very much have the spirit of chainsaw massacre in this film it was dirty it was gritty it was in your face and the best part of all it's actually not that fucking violent a lot of people just like with the original one, they're like, oh, it's really gory. I'm like, watch the movie. It's not that gory. It is more gory than the 74 film, obviously. But still, compared to like what would follow not too long after this film came out, it's actually not that gory. A lot of it is really like suggestive. Um, except for again, there are, I mean, there are a couple of scenes. So I'm not gonna buy and say, like, oh, there's nothing, it could be PG 13. No, there's a couple of scenes. Like you see a dude gets like cut off. Um, but um, it has to me, not, again, nothing's going to beat that intro of Leatherface in the original, but this intro, again, when I talk about they understood what they were doing, to me, this is when they, you can see it right here in the intro of Leatherface. They understood that they, they're like, look, we're making a film that a lot of people already know about. A lot of people are familiar with the original. So how the fuck are we going to introduce Leatherface? Like, how are we going to, you know, 
introduce them for the first time on the screen. And the way they do in here is one of my favorites to this day when like the dude's pounding on the floor and they're like, hey, we got to get out of it. And like the, the tension's building and all of a sudden you just see that fucking door slide open and that chainsaw rev and you're like, here we fucking go with Leatherface. <laughs> like, yes. And yeah, it Andrew Biernowski it, to me is my second favorite uh, portrayal of Leatherface behind Gunnar Hansen. I fucking love him. He 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 really I get it. I know a lot of people complain about like you know like them and like Tyler Maine, like the idea of getting these really big guys to be the the horror icon to make them more scary. But I'm like, it it is kind of scary. Like these are big motherfuckers that I don't want to be on the bad end of the fucking in this case the chainsaw with. Like <laughs> dude's fucking terrifying. And um and the best part is that it's he's not even the only one that's terrifying. Um you have a very surprise to me as good as he was in full metal jacket i wasn't expecting how good he was in this film but a surprise villain role with arlie army fucking killing it i mean the whole scene to this day when he makes the dude reenact the uh the shot the the crime in the car and he has him like put the gun in his mouth and he's like fucking pull the trailer and like just like it's a tense scene and it's all because of Arlie Ermey and to the actor's credit, his reactions. I mean, he is fucking losing it. Having this time, like this, this movie, like, yeah, I can go on. I fucking really do adore this film and like what it pulled off for a remake. Yeah, I knew this was coming. I had two films in mind. What were going to be your number one? And I think the other one is the number one. I think I'm right. But yeah, I, this is one I've got to revisit. I've only seen this one time. Uh, so I'm sure it'll end up on the show at some point in the near future. Uh, yeah, definitely a cool film. Uh, I'm glad the remake pulled it off. Uh, I remember some some specific moments where I was like, fuck yeah, like when Jessica Biel hacks off Leatherface's arm. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, and you just want to grab it? No. Yeah. How's he going to hold the chainsaw? <laughs> a two-handed weapon. Oh no. <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I knew it was coming. Very cool. Yeah, I'll have to watch that again to give more thoughts. Yeah, no, I look, I, I really told people with this one, like, look, go into it, not expecting it to be better than the original because nothing works with past that original film. I was like, but if you know anything about the history of this franchise, like what they were going for with this, and like, to me, again, you look at what the original does and what this one does, and it's very much filmmakers that understood what the original was doing, and said, how do we do that for 2003? At the time, how do we do that for a modern audience? And to me, they fucking aced it. Like, they fucking got what made the original work and honed in on that to make this one work. Yeah, well said. Um, my number two is one of my all-time favorite movies. And it was incredibly tough to put not put this at number one. But I just think my number one pick represents the idea of a remake far better than this one does. But I love this movie so much. There's no way this wasn't going to be at least in the top two. 1999's The Mummy. Uh, what more can be said? I've, I love this movie to death. It's a remake of 1932's The Mummy starring Boris Karloff, which admittedly hasn't aged all that well. It's not some, it's, it's really kind of dull, more of a slow love story than anything else. Whereas 99's Mummy takes what works and turns it into this action adventure 
uh, fantasy epic that also has the, the love story, but I think it makes more sense here. The cast is all people who pretty much never did anything better, which is kind of crazy. Well, let's calm down with Brendan Fraser. Well, there's Brendan. What's, what's another movie that Brendan Fraser did that was this good? I'm not going to say movie, but Doom Patrol is fucking, he's killing it on Doom Patrol. No, no. This is Filmgasm Productions, not TVgasm. No, I want a movie. <laughs> okay, fine. You know what? Fuck you. We're just going to completely ignore his great work on the DC universe. I'm not and- saying he's terrible. I'm just saying that his greatest movie is The Mummy. Or some could say George of the Jungle. Some would be wrong. <laughs> I watched 20 minutes of that a few weeks ago. And it's like, this is really not that great. Look, I loved it as a kid, so. I know, I probably should have just left it in my childhood because now I'm just like, I don't want to go back. Anyway, um, yeah, The Mummy, every, everyone else is just, they should, all right, let me rephrase my statement. They should have gotten so much more but for some reason, they got held back or something. I don't know what happened. But it's a great ensemble. There's so many great horror elements. It teeters that line between horror and action so well. I think if this had been rated R, this would have been absolutely fucking horrific, which would have been really cool. You could see those, you know, the souls get sucked out and the scarabs actually eat some people. But uh, it's a masterpiece. It's a movie I've been watching since I was four, since this came out, which is really way too young to be watching this. But I don't care. It's, it helped shape who I am and it's a masterpiece. Uh, and like I said, the only reason it's not number one is because number one is a better remake. The mummy is mine. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Have you said your complete piece on this film? I have. Yes. Okay, good. Cause uh, I was going to go ahead and say my, my number one is 1999's the mummy. Um, Hold it. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I figured you knew me well enough that you should know what my top two are going to be. It's just a matter of, like, what do I put where? Yep. I knew it. I, I was right. <laughs> um, so the reason I p- did put this, and I know because I've said, like, comfort food, uh, comfort food on films like fucking Hells Have Eyes and Evil Dead, is that the reason this is number one, number one and does beat Chainsaw Massacre for me is that this has been a childhood film for me. I remember when I went to my aunt's one day. And it was when they had the two DVD set of one and returns. And I remember just going, because it was like a really cool, it looked like a book and everything. You know, back when they actually made packaging really cool, like universally, not just like the niche market sites I get on to get stuff. Was it the um, one that looked like the Book of the Dead and you like opened it in the middle? Yeah. I had yeah, that yeah, too. My aunt, yeah, my aunt had that. And I remember just kind of going, it's good, like, oh, what's that? Because I got intro, like, what, what's that? And they're like, oh, it's this movie called The Mummy. It's a. Uh, I remember my mom, you know, at that point, I'm getting curious, like, oh, and, you know, my aunt is from my mom, she goes, oh, it's, he'll be fine, it's PG-13, it's action adventure, a little bit of horror, he'll love it, and sure enough, I spent the night, that night, I was, when I spent the night, my other aunt came over, because she had told me, I was like, oh, okay, let's watch the mummy, and they're like, oh, I'll bring you over the set, we can watch both of them, so they brought it over, and I watched both of them, and just fell in love with both of them, I don't care what people say about sequel, I think the sequel is a fucking good movie. Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, though, yeah. <coughs> but uh, yeah, this movie—it's like you said. It's like Stephen Summers just did a great job of taking like the elements that did work from the original, like that romance that is mainly the main story for the original film, 
putting it in there, but also wrapping it around a really fun action adventure, almost like Indiana Jones type serial action adventure um, that just worked really well, while also still putting core elements here and there and giving that homage to the Universal Classics. Because there are some freaky scenes. I when I was a kid, that scene when he's running around without being able to see, no tongue, like that scene was horrifying as a kid. I remember going, "This is creepy." But uh, you know, it yeah, this film just rocks, man. I mean, but it really was. I think for like many people, the beginning of my love for Brendan Fraser as a kid between this and George of the Jungle, where I'm championing his renaissance right now. It he is to me to this day, it's me one of my favorite action leads in this movie because he doesn't come off like the 80s guys where he's like this big badass dude he's he's an everyman in a very impossible fucking scenario and he comes up with some of the coolest quips and just half and half stuff that i was finding out as i was researching really in life that he was improving on the spot like apparently when they're shooting and he's reloading his gun and she had to move him that apparently he was supposed to move and forgot <laughs> So she like really had to actually pull him out of the way. That's awesome. It's a great moment. That's awesome. Yeah. It's just like little things like that, that like, you know, it wasn't meant, but it added to the coolness of that character of Rick O'Connell. Um, yeah, this movie, it's like you said, it's been with me since I was a kid. Um, I remember when you came over and I got my 4K set and we watched it and it looks fucking stunning. It was awesome watching a movie that's been such a childhood favorite look so good in 2021 yeah that was you know i think it's cool that that ended up being the first 4k movie i've I ever watched that's you know it's just it's a movie of firsts for me and there were moments in there that scared the shit out of me too as a kid for me it was when um imhotep kills the egyptologist and turns back and opens his mouth and releases all the locusts at rick that visual gave me nightmares <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I thought it was creepy. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. I knew this was going to be at least top two, and it was either it was that and Texas Chainsaw constantly flipping back and forth in my head. So well done. Um, and obviously, my number one is the fly. Uh, Damn, so I had it ten. You had it one. Look at that. I know, kind of. Yeah, cool. Full circle. Um, the fly may be the smartest remake of all time the it exemplifies everything that a remake should be uh 1958's the fly kind of a goofy horror sci-fi scientist and a fly kind of switch body parts and her his brother ends up marrying his wife which is kind of weird but um a little bit yeah it's vincent price it's ridiculous uh josh and i did an episode on the film guys and podcast of the original fly a while back you can go check that out but the remake is so fucking disgusting. It is so vile in this impossible scientific scenario. But this is the realistic way that would happen if a man and a fly got spliced together genetically. This is what would happen. It wouldn't be, you know, a human being with a fly head. It would be a human being rotting into a giant insect, <laughs> which is to this day absolutely dis- freakish. And Goldblum and Davis are so phenomenal together. Uh, you believe every minute of this guy's transformation from plucky scientist to inhuman monster. Uh, and the visual effects, oh my God, it's, it's unreal. I mean, this is one of the few horror films to win an Oscar 
for best makeup and it's well deserved. Uh, <laughs> just, I watched it uh, again a few months ago, introducing my cousin to it. And my cousin Ryan isn't the most emotional person. He doesn't really, you know, he doesn't act excited or anything. He internalizes a lot of stuff. So when we watched the fly to hear him go, Oh, was huge. <laughs> I was like, I got him. <laughs> did the fly and the thing. It was his first time for both. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, I just. Hmm? What? So that's a whole back to back feature right there. I know. And both times he was like, oh, wow. Ooh. <laughs> like he was saying stuff. And I'm like, he's freaked out right now. <laughs> I was proud of myself, but um, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. is he okay? And you're like, oh no, he's scared. It's fine. This is good. When I was a, just quick aside, when I was a kid, I was watching the X Files. Uh, it was the season seven finale. It's not even a scary episode, but there's a scene where Scully walks into a force field and like is violently like thrown around, and Ryan, who was like six or seven at the time, walked into the room at that moment, didn't say a word, walked back. I got a phone call from his mom later that day about how much that scared him. <laughs> he didn't even say, he didn't say anything. I didn't even know he was there. <laughs> anyway, I love you, Ryan. <laughs> um, but the fly, you know, builds on the original film's premise in a realistic modern way that turns this into something far darker than it ever could have been without David Cronenberg's two cents. And I love the story of Mel Brooks producing it because he he believed in this product and the, <laughs> the studio uh, hyping it up as, you know, the next Mel Brooks movie. Like, oh, it's going to be goofy. You know, it's the fly. Eh. And they handed out like, you know, antenna hats to everybody. And then the movie came on and uh, no one was laughing. <laughs> so, yeah, the fly is just it. It represents everything a remake should be. And I, I just knew this was going to be my number one before I even started this list. That's yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you, man. Like, like I said, the only reason I put it at 10 and I had everything else after it was because of how recently I finally seen this movie it Had everything to do with me, me just being late to the party. Yeah. These other ones I wasn't, I was seeing them as they came out. So I, I've been, I've been with them longer. So yeah, I mainly, that's like the story of my life for Cronenberg. Uh, Kramer is very late to the party. Um, I have gone through a good chunk of his catalog, thankfully, but there's still shit I need to see. Um, so, and that that's on me. I know I haven't. I still gotta get through some of his stuff. So, yeah. but no, yeah, the fly is great. Yeah, it is. It is great. Um, yeah, this was fun getting to celebrate the best of remakes because we really shit on remakes a few years, a few weeks ago. That was fun. This was good too. <laughs> uh, let's recap. Let's, I'm going to say the years of mine just because some of this stuff's been remade more than once. Yeah. So, number 10, 1986 is The Fly. Nine, 2012's Tread. Eight, 2017's It. Chapter one, if you want to say the whole title. Seven, 2009's Friday 13th. Again, I get it. Hot take. Fuck off. Six, 2006's The Hills Have Eyes. Five, 2020's The Invisible Man. Four, 2013's Evil Dead. Three, 1982's The Thing. Two, 2003's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And finally, number one, 1999's The Mummy. Nice. Very nice. Uh, here's mine. Number 10, 2021's Dune. 
Number nine, 2018's A Star is Born. Number eight, 2020's The Invisible Man. Number seven, 2011's Fright Night. Number six, 2001's Ocean's Eleven. Number five, 2017's It. Number four, 2010's True Grit. Number three, 2005's Batman Begins. Number two, 1999's The Mummy. And number one, 1986's The Fly. Wonderful, great list there from the two of us. Uh, if you want to check out some epic remakes, that's a good place to start. Yes, and if you want to open your heart to 2009's Friday 13th, I'm here. <laughs> I really have to preface that because that's the only one that people can be like, really, that one? I'm like, yeah, yes. Uh, yeah. If y'all have such strong feelings towards uh, the Friday the 13th films, uh, well, that's on you. <laughs> I feel like I've had quite, you know, I've had a lot less restless nights than y'all because i just don't care um thanks for listening everybody we hope you like uh hope you like the show hope you had a good time if you like what we do feel free to follow us on facebook instagram twitter uh we're at filmgasm productions if you want to suggest films for us send us some feedback you can always send us a message on the socials or email us at filmgasm at gmail.com uh, if you want to support the show, you can click on support this podcast on your preferred podcast provider. We appreciate any and all donations. Not necessary, though. We hope you had a good time. We certainly did. Next week, we've got quite a bit of films to choose from. Steven Spielberg's West Side Story in theaters. The sci-fi thriller Encounter on Prime Video. Sandra Bullock's The Unforgivable on Netflix. And Simon Rex's porn star drama Red Rocket in theaters. Sure to be a wild episode, no matter what we decide to focus on. Uh, depending on reviews, I may watch The Unforgivable and Encounter. We'll see. I, my, my, my grandma really wants to see West Side Story, so I'm, I'm probably going to end up having, I'm gonna end up going with her. I will not watch West Side Story. Sir. I know. I know. It's two and a half hours long, by the way, so that ought to be fun. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know what? It's a Spielberg movie. And if I, you know, he's a director whose work I want to cross off. So that includes having to watch the new stuff. Uh, and then Red Rocket, if I can find it, I'm going to watch it. I really want to see that. That's the only one that sounds interesting to me. Well, we'll have to come up with another goofy thing, like our like another countdown or some shit to uh, do for that show. And you'll find out what that is day of, because we, we don't plan much. We just kind of talk about, like, hey, you want to do this? Yeah, all right usually how it goes yeah uh don't miss jim henson's labyrinth on wednesday's filmgasm and a best picture showdown on the original 1961 west side story on oscar sunday have a great week and keep watching movies